Being an outsider is a pretty terrible feeling, isn't it? Feeling like you don't belong, feeling isolated and alone, feeling as though you've got nothing in common with the people around you. I can remember feeling a bit like that at Sarah's Year 12 formal. I mean, being a formal was enough for me to feel like an outsider, but there was this group of people who'd spent five, six, seven, eight, some of them even more years together, and I had none of those shared experiences, none of those shared memories. They'd spent ages together planning how this night was going to go, and I hadn't been part of that. They'd even learnt these dances that they did together during the night, and I had no idea what was going on. Uh, Being on the outside, being excluded, feeling like you're not a part of things, it's an ordinary feeling. And I'm sure you can think of times when you felt a bit like that. Maybe you felt like that when you moved to a new town, or when you started at a new school or a new job. Maybe you even felt a bit like an outsider when you turned up here this morning. But friends, if you feel at all like that, in fact, if you've ever felt at all like an outsider, then this morning's passage will be a wonderful comfort to you. Because what we'll see this morning is, once again, that God shows his loving kindness, this time by welcoming outsiders, by including them. Here at the end of Ruth we'll see how God shows his loving kindness by welcoming one particular outsider, Ruth, a Moabitess from Moab, and incorporating her into his people. And then we'll see that in Jesus, God has actually shown his loving kindness even more fully by welcoming a whole bunch of outsiders, lots of outsiders, into his people. And as we think about that, as we think about the way that God has shown his loving kindness by welcoming outsiders, that'll actually have implications for the way that we treat outsiders. But let's start by looking at the way that God has shown his loving kindness by welcoming one particular outsider. We'll pick it up from Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Now in one sense, this is what we've been waiting for, isn't it? Ever since we met Boaz back in chapter 2 and verse 1, we've been looking forward to Boaz and Ruth getting married. We've seen the chemistry between them. We've watched on as Naomi plotted and schemed. We've seen the stars align. And so it's really no surprise that they finally tie the knot here. But at the same time, this actually should be a surprise to us. Because if we've been reading Ruth carefully, there have been enough hints along the way to help us see that this is actually a really surprising marriage. In fact, any Israelite reading this would be well within their rights to question whether or not this marriage should even have happened. See, right the way through, I don't know if you've noticed, but right the way through, Ruth has been consistently described as a Moabitess from Moab. In fact, it almost seems as though the writer has been at pains to make sure we notice the fact. He just keeps on repeating it over and over and over again. So, for example, back in chapter 1 and verse 4, Marlon and Kilion married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. In chapter 1 and verse 22, we read that Naomi returned from Moab, with, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess. In chapter 2 and verse 2, Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. In chapter 2 and verse 6, the foreman said to Boaz about Ruth, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. In chapter 2 and verse 21, we read that again, Ruth, the Moabitess, spoke to Naomi. A bit later, in chapter 4 and verse 5, Boaz said to the other kinsman redeemer, 
On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. And finally, in chapter 4 and verse 10, Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess. See, right the way through, Ruth has been consistently described as a Moabitess from Moab. It couldn't really be any more obvious. But I guess the question is, why does that even matter? Well, it matters because of how Moabites were viewed in Israel. Now, how were Moabites viewed in Israel? Well, they were very clearly viewed as outsiders. In fact, they were the outsiders of outsiders. They were non-Israelites. They were Gentiles. But even worse than that, they weren't just your average run-of-the-mill Gentiles. Moabites were to be avoided at all costs. This is how they were described back in Deuteronomy 23. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor in Aram Naharaim to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them, as long as you live. Now, if you want to read more about those events, you can find it in Numbers 21 through 25. But do you see the point here? No Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with the Moabites, as long as you live. Don't have anything to do with them. They are the outsiders of outsiders. Now, couple that with the laws that forbade Israelites to marry foreign women... And it all raises serious questions about the legitimacy of Boaz's marriage to Ruth, the Moabitess from Moab, remember? From everything we've seen before in Ruth, Boaz looks like a law keeper. But here he seems to be blatantly disregarding the law. So what's going on? Should he or should he not have married Ruth? What's happening? Well, here's what I think is happening. I think Boaz is doing exactly the right thing. Absolutely he's keeping the law. Because he's showing hesed, he's showing unfailing love to Ruth. And hesed, that is the fulfilment of the law. Now back in chapter 1 when Marlon married Ruth, a Moabite woman, I think we were meant to see then that that was a mistake. Elimelech should never have taken his sons to Moab. They should never have married Moabite women. That should never have happened. But as unfortunate as it was, it did happen. Ruth did marry Marlon, and so she became part of his family, which also meant that she became part of the people of God. In her own words, your people will be my people, your God, my God. As surprising as it appears on the surface, Ruth, the Moabitess from Moab, came to seek refuge under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and so in a very real sense, she became part of God's people. And so sure, on one level, Ruth is a Moabitess from Moab. She's an outsider. She doesn't belong. But at the same time, she's a widow. And she's a stranger in a foreign land. And she's part of Elimelech's family. And she's a vulnerable and destitute widow who has come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And if nothing else, we have seen that he is loving and he is kind. 
And because of his loving kindness, he welcomes outsiders like Ruth. And he welcomes them with compassion and with kindness. He welcomes them with kindness that has all the excess and richness of love. That's exactly how Ruth was welcomed, do you see? Chapter 4 and verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Boaz showed loving kindness to Ruth, which is exactly what God in his loving kindness required him to do. Boaz took Ruth, he redeemed her, and she became his wife. And with that wedding, Ruth, the Moabitess from Moab, is confirmed as being part of God's people. She's confirmed as being welcomed into God's people, which is a wonderful testimony to God's loving kindness. Ruth, who was a foreigner and an alien, is now a fellow citizen with God's people. Ruth, who was a Moabitess from Moab, the lowest of low, low Gentiles, a scumbag dog, is now a member of God's household. Ruth, who was far away, has been brought near because of God's loving kindness. But it actually doesn't end there. It gets even better because not only is Ruth welcomed into the people of God, but she has a son. Verse 13 again. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now notice who this son turned out to be, verse 16. Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Ruth, the Moabitess from Moab, has a son who turns out to be the grandfather of King David. You see the way that God has shown his loving kindness to Ruth? Not only is she welcomed into God's people, but she's actually included in the grand plans that God has for his people. Remember how the book started back in verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1? It was in the days when the judges ruled. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. But in those days, God showed loving kindness by welcoming Ruth, an outsider, into his people. And in those days, he showed his loving kindness by using her to prepare the way for the arrival of King David, Israel's greatest king. It's an extraordinary display of loving kindness. But as extraordinary as that is, even that still doesn't show the excessive and rich nature of God's loving kindness because it actually gets even better, it gets even bigger. You might want to look it up later on. But in Matthew chapter 1, there's a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you'll never guess who pops up. Listen to this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Skip a couple of generations. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. You see that? Not only is Ruth welcomed into God's people, not only is she included into the family line of King David, but Ruth, the Moabitess from Moab, she's included into the family line of Jesus the Christ. She's included into the family line of the Messiah, no less. It is astounding. It's absolutely mind-boggling that God would show his loving kindness like this by welcoming an outsider of outsiders, by welcoming Ruth, the Moabitess from Moab, 
by welcoming someone who had no right whatsoever to be there and by bringing her into the family of Jesus the Christ. It's a wonderful testimony to God's loving kindness. Now, interestingly and somewhat significantly, I guess, it's actually through Ruth's distant relative that God even more clearly shows his loving kindness. It's through Ruth's distant relative that God welcomes in not just one particular outsider who had no right to be there, but he welcomes in lots of outsiders who have no right to be there. It's through the blood of Christ Jesus, Ruth's distant relative, that God welcomes those who once were alienated and far away and brings them near into his people, into the very family of Jesus Christ. This is how Ephesians talks about it. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. You see what this is saying? If you're a Gentile, that is, if you're not a Jew, then you may as well be a Moabite because you're an outsider. You've got nothing in common with God's people. You're excluded, uh, you're separate from Christ. You're excluded from citizenship in Israel. You're a foreigner. You're without hope and without God. You have no right to be among God's people. You do not belong. But God is loving and He is kind. And he has shown his loving kindness by providing a way for outsiders, even Gentile foreigners, to be welcomed into the people of God. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Do you see? God has shown his loving kindness by providing a way for outsiders to be welcomed into the people of God. Because of his loving kindness, he has done everything to make it possible for outsiders to be welcomed. Because of his loving kindness, he has made it possible for those who were excluded to be included. Because of his loving kindness, he has made those who were without hope to have hope. Because of his loving kindness, those who once were far away have been brought near. Because of his loving kindness, God actually planned for Jesus to die in the place of outsiders. He actually planned for Jesus' blood to be shed so that by his blood he could redeem Gentile foreigners. So that by his blood he could remove any and every barrier to them being welcomed. So that they could be included fully in the people of God. Not because they deserved to be there, they didn't. But because that's just how God rolls. Because he is loving and he is kind. And he has shown his loving kindness by welcoming outsiders in an extraordinary way. Now, if God has shown his loving kindness by welcoming outsiders like that, then how do you think God's people should act? Don't you think God's people should show loving kindness by welcoming outsiders as well? I mean, as people who have seen and experienced God's loving kindness, as people who have ourselves, Gentile foreigners, been welcomed into his family, 
Shouldn't we be people who show loving kindness to others? Shouldn't we be people who gladly welcome outsiders? Of course we should. So how do we do that? How can we be better at showing loving kindness and welcoming outsiders? Depends on the context a bit, doesn't it? I mean, here at our Sunday meetings, there's a whole bunch of things we could do. You could turn up here on Sunday morning thinking about how you can serve others. You can develop a nose, if you like, for new people. And if you turn up with that kind of attitude, that'll help you to arrive early so that you'll be ready to welcome new people, so that you'll be ready to greet those who'd feel like they don't belong. And if you do happen to meet that new person, introduce yourself. Maybe you could sit with them during the meeting, explain what's going on, help them to feel comfortable, make sure they've got a Bible, show them where the creche is if they need that, explain where we'll be having morning tea. Then when this bit of the meeting ends, keep chatting with them, introduce them to your friends. Maybe you could even invite them over for a meal during the week. You know, I know there's lots of people here who do exactly that who invite people over for lunch most Sundays after church so as to get to know them, so as to help them to feel welcome, so as to show loving kindness to them. What about other contexts? What what about in your street, in your neighbourhood? Sarah and I have only just recently moved to a new place and in many ways we're the outsiders in our little cul-de-sac, but our neighbours have made us feel really welcome. They've been incredibly kind to us. We've spoken with just about everyone in our street, I think. We've had numerous offers of practical help. We've even been invited to a street party where we sat on one of our neighbours' front lawns just eating food together and chatting and singing Christmas carols. It was a bit weird, but it was really welcoming. If you haven't already, maybe you could just go and say good day to your neighbours. Not saying you need to organise a street party, but maybe you can just go and introduce yourself, show some interest. Maybe you can invite them over for a cup of tea one afternoon or a barbecue one weekend. Just do what it takes to show loving kindness, to make them feel welcome. What about a bit bigger? You know, we like to think we're a sophisticated kind of town, but Dubbo's really just a big country town. And in any country town, who do you think are the most isolated people? Who do you think would feel the most like they don't belong, like they're outsiders? We've heard from some of them this morning. Of course it's got to be the migrants and refugees, doesn't it? Late last year, the government announced that we're going to receive an extra 12,000 Syrian refugees. It's highly likely, I reckon, that at least some of them will end up here in Dubbo working at places like the Abattoir, which presents us with a great opportunity to show loving kindness by welcoming them. Now, how can we do that? There's a whole bunch of ways. Refugees need friendship support, someone to talk to, someone just to welcome them. We can do that. They may well need help finding a house and moving in and furnishing it. We can do that. In all likelihood, they'll need help just with everyday tasks, like making phone calls and making appointments and filling in paperwork and even getting kids' homework done. We can do that. In all likelihood, they'll need English classes and so If you happen to have teaching qualifications, and especially teaching English as a second language, there's a great opportunity there for you to show loving kindness to these people. But friends, of course, their greatest need, isn't it, is to find real and lasting refuge, 
Their greatest need is to meet Jesus and to know him. They just need someone to sit down and read the Bible with them. Refugees who have left everything behind need most of all what we all need more than anything else. Real hope in Jesus the Saviour for this world and for eternity. And friends, really there is no greater way we can show loving kindness to anyone than by helping them to investigate Jesus for themselves. By sitting down and reading the Bible with them. So let's at least be prepared to do that whether it's with refugees or whether it's with people who have lived in Dubbo their entire lives or whether it's with your next door neighbour or whether it's with the other people here at church at night. Let's at least be prepared to show loving kindness to one another. Now, is all this going to be hard? Is it going to be costly? Is it going to take time and effort? Absolutely it is. Welcoming outsiders was hard and it was costly for Boaz. It was certainly hard and it was costly for Jesus and so it'll be hard and costly for us. But friends, is any of that going to stop us? No way. Because it's worth the cost. And this is just who we are. Because it's who our God is. He is loving and he is kind. And he gladly welcomes outsiders. Outsiders like me. Outsiders like you. Because if nothing else, what we've seen from Ruth is that our God, he is characterised by hesed, by unfailing love, by loving kindness. And that is a wonderful thing. Let me pray. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful truth that you are characterised by hesed, by unfailing love. And Father, we thank you for the way that we see that most clearly in Jesus. That even though we are Gentiles, excluded from citizenship, foreigners, separated from Christ, yet because of your unfailing love, you have made it possible through the blood of Jesus for us to be brought near. And we thank you for that wonderful truth. And Father, we want to be people who, whose characters reflect your character. We want to be people who are loving and kind because you are loving and kind. We want to be people who are welcoming because of the way that you have welcomed us. And so we pray, help us to think well about how to do that here at church and in our neighbourhoods and in our town. Father, we want to do that because that will bring you the glory and honour that you rightly deserve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.